Welcome to week number four in our series, I Am uh, Jesus in His Own Words. And we did that last song, uh, I Want More of You, because a lot of times we have this idea that um, Jesus is our ticket to heaven, but we really don't want to take it much farther than that. We, we love His grace, but we don't necessarily like the harder teachings of Jesus, or we don't really know him like we should know him. And so we wanted to do that song uh, for you, uh, I Want More of You, just as a prayer, just as a time of worship uh, to Jesus to say, this is what I want in my life. And Jesus is saying in the book of John, and we started this a few uh, weeks ago, he's been saying in the book of John that I'm this and I am that and, and uh, I'll do this for you and I'll do that for you. And we started off by saying uh, that Jesus is the bread of life. And then we saw that Jesus said that he was the light of the world. Last week, we learned that he's the gate or he's the door. In other words, he's the way to enter into eternal life, but not just your ticket to heaven. He, he's a better way to live your life down here until you get to heaven. So today, we're going to stay in John 10 because we mentioned a verse last week. I just touched on it a little bit last week, but I want to do a little bit more of a deep dive into it today, and that's uh, verse 11 and following, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now, when we read through the Bible, there are many times where we are referred to as sheep, and I got to be honest with you, I don't get real excited about that, right? It's, it's a little bit insulting that God would compare us to sheep. And here's a few reasons why. Sheep, first of all, are really not all that great to look at, right? I mean, lambs are cute, right? Little, little baby lamb, you know, at Easter time, and little baby lamb just really cute, and that's all great, but, but sheep, not so much. Uh, sheep are not great hunters. They're not very strong. They're not very fast. They don't have a lot of qualities that appeal to us. I'm not even a fan of wool. Anybody like wool? I mean, even though it's warm, I don't really like wool. It's, it, it's kind of itchy. There's a reason why high schools and universities and professional sports teams do not have sheep as their mascot. Have you ever noticed that? I did a Google search. I thought there were none in the universe where any schools had sheep as their mascot. I found one that's kind of close. It's a high school in Fort Collins, Colorado, whose mascot is the lambkins, right? Nothing more intimidating than that, right? This cute little prancing lamb as your mascot for your school. Pretty intimidating, right? Uh, no, not at all. And the school saw this as well. So after many years of having this prancing lamb as their mascot, in 1981, they created Clyde. Now, there you go. That's a, that's a man. That just strikes the fear of God into you, doesn't it? Just a sheep in a, in a uniform. Uh, not so much. Clyde's primarily used for their sporting events, and they still use the little lambkin on their letterhead and diplomas and all that kind of stuff. But why don't schools use this as their mascot? It's because sheep are pretty passive, right? They're not aggressive at all. They're not strong. They're not fast. In fact, they're pretty dumb, really. And that's who we're compared to in the Bible. Thanks, God. 
Uh, you know, I really appreciate that, right? But here's the deal. Sheep need to be led. God knew that we needed to be led. He knew that if we were left to our own devices, that we would struggle. He knew that we would get ourselves into trouble. He knew that we all need someone to lead us. And there are all kinds of people out there. There are all kinds of things out there that are more than willing to try to lead us in the direction they want us to go. There's a lot of different things out there that want to pull us into things that are not good for us. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the gate, how he's the door. But I also want us to remember in verse 10 that Jesus said this, the thief's purpose, in other words, Satan, his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And I don't think it's a coincidence that right after the statement of Satan's purpose is to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Right? There's this enemy that wants to destroy you, but I'm the good shepherd and I'm here to lead you and I'm here to protect you. As we talked about last week, he's not only the gate, but he's our guard and he is our guide as well. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And this word good is a word that refers to somebody who is of, of noble character. And what Jesus is saying to us is this, you can trust his character. You can trust who he is. You can trust that he doesn't have any ulterior motives for your life except to know him more, to see him face to face, to see his holiness, and to pattern our lives after that. In other words, there are no hidden agendas with what Jesus is wanting to do with our lives. And so the end of verse 10 explains what he wants for you, and if you're willing to follow him, that's what you will get. So let's take a look at what Jesus says after that in verse 11, right? He says he's the good shepherd, all that. Uh, and then you pick up in verse 11, he says it again, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. And so first of all, I think what we need to do is understand that Jesus has the right to call himself the good shepherd because Jesus is totally committed to his sheep. Jesus is totally committed to us, and that's good. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for us. And this word for, the good shepherd sacrifices for us, is, emphasizes the fact that Jesus was the sacrifice on behalf of all of us sheep. In other words, Jesus died for you. Jesus was willing to make the supreme sacrifice for you. And this is in stark contrast to what Jesus said the hired hand will do, right? Jesus said the hired hand, what they're going to do is they're going to run away at the first sign of trouble. They're not committed to you. All of these other things that are vying for your attention, that are vying for your allegiance, they're going to leave you high and dry. But Jesus says, I will never abandon you even to the cross. 
1 Corinthians 7.23 says, God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Jesus gave everything for you, so you don't have to buy into the the things of of this, this world. Jesus owns his sheep, and since he owns them, he's naturally committed to them. And so when you confess Jesus as the Christ and you repent of your sins, you're baptizing him, you belong to him. And so when you own something, you want to take care of it, right? Do you have a difference in the way you care for things if you own them versus whether you're just borrowing them or renting them or what? If you own them, then you are totally committed to certain things. You're going to take care of them better. Jesus says he owns us. And so he's going to take care of Again, in verse 12, we get a picture of what the hired hand says they're going to do. These hired hands could have been a reference to the religious leaders of the day. I do think that's probably what he's talking about there. Because the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they had no investment in the flock whatsoever. All they were trying to do was get as much from the people as they possibly could. They were going to get everything that they could possibly get out of the sheep. But Jesus says this, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks him and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. We need to understand that those who are trying to be a shepherd to us If it's apart from Jesus, if it's not within the will of God, they will not and they do not have your best interest in their hearts and minds. They're going to take advantage of you. They're going to leave you high and dry. As soon as times get tough, they're going to to leave you. And they do that because they don't care for you like Jesus does. Jesus gave everything, right? Right? I would contend that the stuff that we get addicted to, the stuff that pulls us away from Jesus, they don't care one bit for us. They'll suck the life right out of us until there's nothing left, and then they go on to the next victim. And they do that because they're guided by Satan. They're not being guided by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what Satan wants to do, right? He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. But Jesus said, no, I'm the good shepherd. I want to keep you protected from that. Look at this from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. God wants every single person who's ever walked the face of the earth to enter into that relationship with him and become one of his sheep so he can be their shepherd. As I was going through this this morning, my mind was, again, I I hate to just keep harping on this, but it's kind of dominating the news right now. I see what's happening over in Israel, and I felt like God was calling to my attention. You know, I'm thinking about how can these miserable, no good for nothing people do some of the things that they're doing, and then Jesus reminded me that I died for them too. And I want them in the fold. I want them in the flock. That's hard to wrap my mind around. Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. I know the false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up 
and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Haven't we seen that before at times? Reminds me of the little boy who came running into his mother one day shouting, Mom, I'm nine feet tall. Mom said, don't talk such nonsense. That's crazy. No, 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 it's true. I measured myself. I'm nine feet tall. She said, well, how did you measure yourself? Well, it was easy. I just took off my shoe and I measured myself with my shoe and, and I'm the same size as my foot. I'm really nine feet tall. Right? Mother said, no, 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 that's not the way that works. you got to have a 12-inch ruler, all that kind of stuff. But here's the deal. This is what people want to do. They want you to measure God's standard with what the world is saying rather than measuring what the Word of God says. They want us to buy into the lie of what the world is teaching. Again, we're back to what I talked about a, a few weeks ago and, and just live out your own truth kind of thing. And we need to know God's word. We need to understand that there are false teachers today who are using a different measuring standard. Instead of the absolute truth, they reason that this is the way that it should be. And we need to know the word of God so that we won't be misled. Did you know that counterfeiting money is one of the oldest professions, oldest crimes, in uh, American history. It became a serious problem here in the United States um, during the 19th century because what used to happen was banks would issue their own currency. There wasn't one standard uh, issued currency. Banks issued their own currency. Uh, and so it became a problem. In fact, during the Civil War, it became uh, so, so bad. It was estimated that one-third of all currency in the United States was counterfeit. And so in 1863, the United States adopted a national currency in hopes that it would solve the growing counterfeit problem in this nation. But before long, the new national currency also became victim of counterfeiting. So on July 5th, 1865, the United States Secret Service was established, not to protect the president, right? But it was, it was developed to uh, counter. Uh, counterfeiters. And so the agents were trained by getting to know the real thing so well that when they saw a counterfeit bill, they recognized it immediately. They were so familiar with the real thing that they recognized the false thing immediately. And that's how we need to train ourselves. We need to train ourselves by knowing the real truth so well that when we spot the counterfeit, we're going to recognize it immediately and uh, stay away from it. It kind of reminds me of the story of a couple gangsters who were notorious counterfeiters. They were from New York, but they had one guy down in Kentucky working on a printing press for them, and so they made a trip down to his place to pick up some of the bills that he had printed off for them, got some fresh bills, and so they get out to the car, and they had a bag full of money, and uh, they opened it up, and the bag was full of $15 bills. One guy said to the other, and he said, what in the world are we going to do with these? He said, well, listen, this is Kentucky. They might not know the difference all that much, and we might be able to get by with it, so let's test it out. And so they go into a gas station in Kentucky, and they, he said, I'm just going to take this one in and try to get change for it. And so he goes in, and he comes back out of the car, and his partner says, well, how did it go? He said, it went just great. He gave me two sixes and a three. <laughs> now... You don't know if I just dogged Kentucky or if I just gave them credit for being really sharp, do you? A little, little bit of both. But here's the deal. Satan's schemes are so deceptive 
He will use whatever he can, whenever he can. He will use whoever he can, however he can, to lure you away and destroy you. And it's not always as obvious as a $6 bill or a $3 bill. He's sneaky. He's cunning. And so you need to know the truth so that you can stand up against his scheme. Charles Spurgeon says this about the great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I am safe. The sheep is not safe because it says I am stronger than the lion or I'm able to escape from the bear or I shall always be able to avoid the wolf. Silly sheep, what canst thou do to protect thyself from thy foes? We can't do anything but rely on the shepherd. Do you have faith and courage to follow Jesus like that? I hope so. Look at verses 14 through 16. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd because Jesus has a special connection to his sheep. Again, we give more love, we give more attention to things that we know well, right? Things that are ours, things that we know well. To those with whom we have a relationship, we have more of a connection with. And verse 14 tells us that we have this unique connection with God because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus knows that we are his. He has a relationship with us. He has a relationship with the Father. He is our connection. In New Testament times, as the sheep would be put into the fold at night, here's what would happen. The shepherd would carefully examine each sheep and would take care of them. If they had any wounds on them, they would take care of their injuries. One of the things that they would do is they would have oil for medicinal purposes, and they would anoint the sheep with oil for healing. That's why the 23rd Psalm is so special. That's what Jesus does to us spiritually. He anoints us with his, his healing, and he knows us so well. Here's how, well, Jeremiah says he knows us. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And one of the things that we still don't get is the fact that our faith is not based on our do's and don'ts. Our relationship with Jesus is because of who we are. We're his. It has nothing to do with what we do, how we perform. It's based on whether we know Jesus or not. And Jesus knows the sheep so well that he would name them. That's amazing. He knows you so well. He knows every hair on your head. Again, that's, that's easier for some of you. Uh, but did I say that? I didn't mean, that's not in my notes. I didn't mean. See, Satan doesn't even leave me alone when I'm preaching. Right? But when we develop that relationship with him, 
He helps us to stay away from the things that we ought not do. And we often say faith is not about religion. It's about a relationship. And that's true. If it were all about religion, then we could be religious just fine. The Pharisees that he got onto all the time, they were as religious as anybody. But what did Jesus say about them? He said, y'all are like, y'all, Jesus was from the south. Y'all are like whitewashed tombs, right? You look nice on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. Dead man's bones. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. So humble yourself. Stop thinking more highly than you are. Stop thinking about how religious you are and what you've done and what you haven't done or whatever the case may be. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, He'll lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God because He cares for you. Jesus didn't just sit in an ivory tower tossing out orders to us along the way. He mixed in among the people. He touched the people. He healed the people. Jesus knows and loves all of his sheep, not just the elite ones. And if he loves all his sheep, then that means he loves us if we're in Christ. That's his promise. Verse 16, he talks about the other sheep that don't enter the fold. He was speaking of the Gentiles who at the time were cut off from the possibility of eternal life. I don't want you to be cut off from eternal life. Right? I want you to know Jesus in this life and become so familiar with him in this life that when you get to heaven, you really don't need a big introduction. He knows you, right? Look at verses 17 and 18. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life, so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. And Jesus desired to serve all of his sheep. Not only did Jesus serve his sheep, he chose to do it. And I think that's a big deal. I think that's big to point out. Part of the reason, I mean, God the Father loves God the Son because of who He is, but He also loved the fact that He was willing to go to the cross. Jesus didn't have to. Yet it's another reason why there's not multiple roads to heaven. Right? We talked about that last week. Jesus is the gate, He's the door. There's not multiple roads, and that's not a popular sermon in this day and age. Right? There's only one way to heaven. And listen, this is not just me saying this. This is not just East Columbus Christian Church's doctrine. This is the word of God. This is the mouth of Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Let me ask you this question. Do you think a person who wants to do something is going to do it better, more completely, more lovingly than someone who is forced to do it, someone that is reluctantly going to do it, someone who loves you enough to do something for you works out much better than someone who's forced. Jesus did what he did because he loves you. 
He wasn't forced. There wasn't an argument in heaven. God didn't twist his arm and said, son, if you don't do it, I'm going to ground you. You know, nothing like that. Jesus willingly left heaven. Galatians 1, 3 and 4. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. When you want to do something, when you do something that you love to do, you're going to do it better because you care about it. Jesus wanted to give his life for us. He didn't want to die, but he knew that the only way for us to ever get to heaven was for him to do that. And so he wanted to do that for you. John 3.16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much he loves you. Jesus, the good shepherd. Are you one of his sheep? You don't naturally just become one of his sheep. You become, a, a, you become a sheep by confessing Jesus as the Christ, turning away from your sin. If you haven't been baptized into him, that symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it says we are raised into newness of life. How many of you would just like things to be a little bit different? You'd like to have a new life. You'd like to be a new creation. You're tired of the old. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to offer a song of decision. Caleb's going to lead us um, in a song. And uh, as, we, uh, as we sing this, um, there'll be someone down the front to meet with you. If you have a decision to make, we encourage you to, to do that. Um, if you just need prayer, we encourage you to come and be prayed with. Whatever, whatever it might be, uh, we just ask you to surrender it to Jesus right now.